What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago, our mayoral candidates have vastly different visions for Chicago public schools. The city's police oversight commission is testing its new powers. And you could join me for a pre-election late show. When and where you ask, you're going to need to stick around to find out. Here with me to break it all down, we've got Mariah Wolfel, City Hall reporter with WBEZ, and Jim Daly, digital news editor with The Tribe. It's Friday, March 31st. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is What Chicago's Talking About. Mariah, Jim, welcome back to CityCast Chicago. Before we jump into the, the stories that were on your minds this week, I want to start uh, by thinking about the season we're in, which is spring. Earlier this week, lead producer Carrie Shepard, producer Small Ali Say, and myself, we sat down to do some, some sort of spring previews. We talked about spring art, spring flowers. And so I wanted to ask y'all, we are officially in spring, no matter what outside your window is saying right now. Uh, so Mariah, what is something you're looking forward to in this spring season? I am looking forward to exercising outside. Um, I just entered my like digital phase. I got a Fitbit. So I'm going to okay. be, uh, you know, I'm going to be a whole new, I'm going to be Fitbit Mariah, you know, <laughs> elevator. No, Fitbit Mariah takes the stairs situation. So um, I'm really excited to like, you know, run along the lakefront, uh, use the 606 and, and also explore new trails um, throughout the city that I haven't, that I haven't done before. I love that. I love that Fitbit Mariah takes the stairs. We were at a WeWork earlier this week. The team was. And we had a, a, a office or a room on like the sixth floor. And we were on the second floor. Carrie just looks at me and she goes, I'm going to take the stairs. I was like, okay, Fitbit, Carrie, I'm going to take the stairs with you. I'm going to take the stairs with you. So I like that. And hopefully uh, you, you can keep it up. Hopefully after a few times up and down them stairs, you ain't like, you know what? I'm going to go backwards. Yeah, Carrie Shepard's my, my idol, my role model in that. <laughs> Jim, I want to bring you in here. What is something you're looking forward to during spring? Yeah, my answer is a little more sedentary than Mariah's. I have been looking forward to putting my hammock up on the deck on that like first warm, like really warm day where it's like, you know, warm in the shadow and in the sunshine. Mm -hmm. I've been looking forward to that for months. What's your perfect relaxation in a hammock? Is it a book? Is it music? Is it your laptop? Or is it just you, the hammock and, and the breeze? Um, it's music and the, me and the breeze. Mariah, I want to start with you this week. We have heard throughout this election season that schools and the mayoral candidates' relationships to education is sort of their bread and butter as candidates. But they got two different visions for what Chicago public schools' future is like. Can you give our listeners a better sense of how Paul Vallis on one side and Brandon Johnson on the other differ and what they hope the future Chicago public schools looks like. 
Yeah, so I'll be referring a lot to this story by Nader Issa and Sarah Karp. And it talks about how, you know, Paul Vallis really has these drastic changes planned for CPS's structure where he would really empower local schools to be making decisions, even allowing local school councils to decide whether to change a school into a charter school, really bolstering principals and local local leaders' power over spending and programming. He said, quote, we should be running districts of schools, not school districts. Um, He believes in radical decentralization. Brandon Johnson, he would rather the school district central office stop funding schools per pupil because in in Vallis's vision, you know, that means that uh, schools are also resourced by how many students they've had, which has led to problems for under-enrolled schools where they're not getting the money that they need to be better and attract students. And then Brandon Johnson kind of sees a system where there's this guaranteed baseline of resources um, for each student where each school, you know, has has the baseline of an arts class, of a choir, of a nurse, of a social worker, a therapist. What these candidates envision for CPS is like a huge part of what Chicagoans should consider when voting for each of these candidates, particularly because the next mayor in this in this next four years is going to be pivotal for schools as a moratorium on school closings ends. And as we transfer, you know, we switch to a partially elected school board in this next tenure. Uh, To that end, can you tell us a little, what is Johnson's plan for under-enrolled schools? He wants to make sure that everyone has the resources they need, an art teacher, a librarian, a social worker. Uh, But how does he plan to infuse those, that money and that capital into these under-enrolled, under-resourced facilities? Well, I think that's um, a main point of criticism of of Johnson's plan is that it's not clear where he's going to be getting the funding. He says that we need to overhaul the CPS funding formula so that we're on a needs-based and not an enrollment-based formula. Um, He wants to work with Springfield to get more share of funding coming from the state. Um, Yeah, another billion dollars, essentially. Right. And this comes as the district's facing a $600 million deficit. Um, Vallis kind of says he thinks he can work within the existing funding that CPS gets. And, you know, both of those premises are, are kind of like, I, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is when the financial burden is so hefty and the need is so high, especially for kids after the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Jim, I want to ask you a, a question, because when you listen to candidates during the campaign trail, they'll make a bunch of promises and make it sound as if they themselves can implement these plans. But the truth is, rarely is that the case. When you look at a Vallis plan or Johnson plan, are either of them you know, plans that they can start to work on day one in those first 100 days, maybe without city council, without working with local school councils or, you know, the, the school board as it's currently constructed. Are these things that they can deliver on themselves? From a budgetary perspective, I don't know that they can work on them themselves. Um, you know, city budgets have to be passed by the council. I think um, one thing I've been thinking about a lot is that with the fact that the city council is undergoing one of its most momentous changes in decades with new alders, you know, with a with a new mayor, it's going to be difficult for either one to unilaterally advance an agenda because they're not going to have, neither mayor will have the kind of like rubber stamp city council that we're used to having in the past. And it will come down to their ability to build coalitions within it, probably. 
staying on education, but rather than looking at the future of Chicago public schools, I want to look at the the past track record of one of the mayoral candidates, particularly Paul Vallis. Uh, now, admittedly, Brandon Johnson has a shorter education history, but when people talk about it, uh, it's pretty cut and dry. His work with the Chicago Teachers Union, his work as a public school teacher. But when I've tried to ask individuals, well, what is the story of Paul Vallis's history as a, a leader in education spaces? I've constantly been told, well, it depends on who you ask. And you have asked individuals, not only in Chicago, where he was the head of CPS in the, the mid to late 90s, but also people in New Orleans, where he worked, uh, people in Philadelphia. And, and what is the story that you uh, have come away with? Yeah, I mean, the people that I talked to in each of these cities were teachers, parents, activists, um, union, teacher union presidents. In every school district where I talked to people, they described similar approaches to education as Mr. Vallis is saying that he wants to implement here in Chicago if elected mayor, which is decentralizing school districts. Um, this idea of a district of schools versus a school district is one that played out in New Orleans, where it's now a 100% charter school district, and it has more than 40 different charter operators um, running schools in that district. Um, in Philadelphia, he expanded charters. I believe there's now 83 charters. He was responsible for at least 15 of them. And to this day, he is, like, even while campaigning for mayor of Chicago, he is the CEO of a charter school that's going to open in Little Rock, Arkansas uh, in August. One of the things that uh, a person I spoke to in New Orleans told me about this kind of portfolio district, one of the problems that they had was that due to the fact that it was decentralized, she said they had problems tracking students if they left a school. So if a student dropped out or was expelled, um, they didn't really know where the student went. So that's, I think, I think that the the track record uh, of Vallis is setting up charter districts in every city he's gone to, in addition to his promise to make Chicago this type of portfolio district tells us exactly what he's going to do with Chicago public schools. Mm -hmm. For a lot of people who may not be familiar with the impact charter schools can have on a public school system, what type of impact can a charter school or uh, this sort of decentralization of, of a school district, what kind of consequences can that have on neighborhood schools? Um, well, on neighborhood schools in particular, it devastates them. It's designed to change schools from these kinds of neighborhood schools where if you live in a neighborhood, you go to the school in your neighborhood to you, you now have the option to try and get your kid into any number of selective schools around the, the city. But what that means is, whereas like a neighborhood school is required to educate the child, you know, to put forth a good faith effort to keep them in school, charter schools are often not bound by those types of requirements, so they can expel students. Now, students, of course, can be expelled from neighborhood schools as well. But charter schools, I get the impression that they are more more free to drop kids from their roles than a neighborhood school would be. That's a whole storyline on Abbott Elementary right now. <laughs> is it really? <laughs> it is. The yeah. Abbott Elementary is trying to save their school from being taken over uh, by a charter school. And one of the episodes focuses on a, a student who was kicked out of their local charter school and sent back to Abbott Elementary because the charter school was trying to, you know, preserve its numbers as it was it was said on the on the show. Right. And that's like that's an effective way to potentially inflate the um, 
outcomes of a school if you're dropping kids who are not doing so great. The runoff election is Tuesday, April 4th, hoping everybody goes out and votes. We'll put links in these articles because the, the best thing you could do is be informed. Uh, you can also listen to our interview with Commissioner Brandon Johnson from earlier this week. Of course, we have asked Paul Vallis for an interview several times, uh, but have not yet been able to secure that. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you could transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. But another topic that is on people's minds is the future of policing in our city. Uh, so, Mariah, I want to start with you. And we're in, we're in a way, kind of staying with Paul Vallis, who, I mean, if he would come on here, he could speak to his his policies. But since he won't come, we have to ask journalists and reporters like yourself to kind of give us the skinny. He has talked a lot about his plan for uh, bringing back police officers to the force. Can you make sense of that plan and maybe some of the criticisms people have of it? Sure. So this was a story that came out by Chip Mitchell this week that I really appreciated. Just a basic accountability fact check on a proposal that we hear a lot about every debate. Um, you know, we talk about how Chicago police ranks have shrunk about by about 1,600 officers since 2019. And there's all this talk about um, replacing those positions and how you replace those positions when morale among police is low. Um, Vallis has said he would bring back retired police officers and that hundreds would return, you know, the minute he's elected. Um, and, and Chip Mitchell kind of did this deep dive on whether that claim is true and found that there's not much evidence one, that bringing back retirees will even work. You know, several cities have tried to bring back retirees and few have reported that being a successful effort. WBEZ reached out to a bunch of retirees. We we got in touch with eight, um, ranging from 51 to 70 years old. And two told Chip that they might consider going back to the department. The others were content with new jobs or had moved away. And then, you know, there's this idea that beyond, you know, whether you could even attract retirees, whether bringing back retirees is even good for the police department or the communities that they're meant to serve, given um, that this is a police department that's under a federal consent decree to um, reform itself after decades of violating the civil rights of black and brown Chicagoans. Um, one former trustee of the Fraternal Order of Police uh, you know, the union that represents Chicago police told Chip that um, she thinks that old uh, older police officers would be slow to embrace the consent decree um, and embrace new reforms. But I also want to ask, because Brandon Johnson has also been asked about how he plans to address what many have called this uh, sort of shortage of, of police officers. And he's focused mostly on 
promoting individuals to detective? Has he said anything about how he plans to get back to that 2019 level or, or if even that's his goal? Yeah, no, he hasn't committed to filling, you know, the 1600 vacancies in the police department. That's not something that he's given a clear answer on. When he's asked about that, he says that if you improve the work conditions of police officers by taking out some of their responsibilities, responding to mental health crises, being social workers on the streets, which he wants to, you know, shift that, you know, responsibility to non-police officers and and actual mental health workers. He thinks that by doing that, you know, you'll get more officers wanting to be police um, than before. But, you know, he hasn't really like directly committed or come up with a plan to replace those rank and file cops. But as you said, has has mainly relied on his plan to promote 200 new detectives and saying that would also decrease the burden, I think, because, you know, you're solving more crime and so therefore preventing crime from happening in, in his argument. Yeah, I think that in these discussions, it's always important to ask uh, whether and why we need to get departmental staffing levels back up to previous um, levels. Um, Chicago currently has more police officers per capita than either New York or Los Angeles. Um, outside In of, any other city other than D.C., right? Yeah. So yeah. if you combine the fact that we have more cops per capita with the clearance rates that remain pretty low, um, I think that that raises the question as to whether or not we actually need to attract more officers or simply get better at policing. I agree with you 100%. Go ahead, Mariah. Oh, no. I was also just going to say that, you know, when you I know that that crime is on a lot of people's minds and it is at unacceptable rates. But also when you look at the past six decades, Chicago's, you know, murder tally for 2022 was not that far above the average amount of murders that the city has seen for the past six decades. And so to say that a mayor is going to solve that problem in four years, particularly by adding more police um, alone, is I just think a false kind of premise that I I know many people cast their votes on how a mayoral candidate says they're going to solve crime, but we also need to Um, set realistic expectations. And I think that expectation should be that no one mayor is going to solve the city's decades persisting crime problem in four years. Yeah, these talking points often feel like they're categorized in fear mongering, because ultimately just telling us that, okay, I'll hire a thousand more cops. But but what is the outcome of that as Jim brings up, right? You know, um, Commissioner Johnson used the word occupation, and it feels like that's very much the goal here. Whereas we have more people on the streets, maybe they'll intimidate people out of committing crimes, which for me is a, a wholly, grossly misunderstanding of the factors that do lead to a good amount of crime in this city, which is often lack of resources, lack of access, years of disinvestment. Uh, but staying on this conversation, uh, the mayor or city council, they will have a new commission that their task will with working with to make some of these staffing decisions, some of these oversight decisions. And that's the Community Commission for Public Safety and Accountability, which we've reported on a lot on the show. Uh, Right now, they're testing out some of their newfound powers. Uh, Jim, can you talk a little bit more about this commission and, and some of the responsibilities they're taking on right now? We've got this commission that not only can set policy for the department, um, it also can review budgets for the department and, um, Currently, two ways in which they're kind of flexing their their muscles is one in 
the search for the next police superintendent, which they will nominate three people to the mayor who will pick from that list. Um, and then secondly, there was a great story this morning on WBEZ um, that interviewed Anthony Driver, the president of CCPSA, about how they're trying to make the department more transparent to media. And as someone who covers the Chicago Police Department, I can tell you they are very not transparent to media right now. Um, despite having you know dozens of people working in their press office, um, they are quite opaque. But we'll see the degree. You know, I think a lot of these things come down to how amenable the department internally is to reforms. Um, and it's hard to tell, partly because the department is opaque. Um, but also, you know, you look at the consent decree and the fact that the department has been slow to, you know, complete many of the benchmarks on the consent decree. The the police union just, the, the FOP rank and file just re-elected John Catanzara to its president. Um, so that's another indicator, I think, to some degree of where they lie. Catanzara said that if Brandon Johnson is elected, that, you know, hundreds of police officers will immediately walk on the off the force and there will be blood in the streets. If that is not the most problematic fear mongering that we've seen uh, throughout this election season coming from somebody who is uh, ultimately a representative, a voice, a figurehead for the police. I don't understand. I don't. I personally don't understand how they can expect a, a large swath of the city uh, to feel that relationships are improving when a person can say, well, you know, if, if you choose to elect this person, this is how the people who are so, sort of, quote unquote, sworn to serve and protect you. This is how they will react to that decision. And we see this this sort of ongoing tension, you know, as the commission works to to uh, put forth these nominations, hoping to change media policy, do you think we'll see more and more pushback against not only them, but the newly formed police district councils from rank and file members? I'm optimistic that that these bodies will be able to have some impact. Um, I think that that if they're setting policy from the top, if they have a superintendent who is cooperative, um, and also if they're setting policy that benefits officers. Like if they um, deal with the overtime problem while at the same time attempting to institute reforms that that ultimately would be beneficial to cops, I think that they could see some success. Um, I'll also add, like, I don't believe Katanzara. That is fear mongering. I don't think hundreds of cops are going to immediately resign their jobs, regardless of who's mayor. Every single episode of CityCast Chicago ends practically the same way with some good news to get the listeners through the hour, the day, the weekend. And so, Mariah, what is your some good news for CityCast listeners today? Okay, this is maybe a cop out because it's the most obvious answer. But (laughs) my good news is that the election is over on Tuesday. You know, we're going to know who the city's next mayor is. And, you know, I'm just going to get a lot of sleep and take time off and, you know, then then start to cover a new mayoral administration, which will um, also be a new challenge and, it, and an exciting one. But I'm, I'm very excited and I hope people turn out to vote, you know, runoff elections, struggle with voter turnout. Um, I hope people, you know, are voting early and getting out there on election day to vote on Tuesday as well. 
No, I appreciate that. As somebody who covers these elections very closely, we just had multiple in a row, right, from our midterm all the way down to our city elections. Uh, You know, what is something you think as you've talked to voters? What do you think there's something the city can do to kind of help with that voting fatigue? Well, I would love. Yeah, I would love for Tuesday to be a holiday for people. Um, That that would be awesome. Election Day should should absolutely be a holiday. And, yeah, I did the math like Chicagoans voted in. 2018, 2019, 2020, we didn't have an election in 2021. Then 2022, 2023, there's two elections. We'll have another election in 2024. We will not have one in 2025, but then we'll have one in 2026. And 2027 will be the mayors. So we are, I mean, Chicago, particularly because our mayoral, our city elections are on these odd years. It's And then we have midterms and then, you know, it's just it's so much and I don't have an answer for how to how to how I how to you know to combat that fatigue um I really don't <laughs> I don't hey, well, well, I will I will say again just as you sort of list those years off one after one after one it only gives me more respect and even a deeper gratitude for the work that you all do yeah and to all the listeners who vote because that is mm-hmm. you know that's your civic duty and and pat yourself on the back for you know if if, if you voted in a, in a majority of the elections i just listed off like <laughs> kudos to you that's good, awesome good for you again april 4th our runoff election check out the chicago board of elections website to find the polling place in your area you can still vote today at one of the 52 early voting sites including the two super sites downtown in the loop jim i want to kick it over to you what is your some good news to get us through the weekend i agree with everything mariah said and thursday was my dog's third birthday uh, <laughs> oh your hammock homie yeah my Yay! yeah yep yeah, uh, little Welly Wu Tang uh, is our guy, and we've had him for a little over a year, and he's just a marvelous little firecracker. What's your What's your your pup's breed? What kind of dog you got? I don't know. He's like a mutt. He's um, <laughs> he's like part terrier, part maybe he's got a little pit in him because he's got like that brindle on okay. his coat. Um, but okay. he's just a little ball of. Love for everyone except other dogs. He hates other dogs. Mm. <laughs> Anything special? Dog park, a pup cup, you know, a, a doggy cupcake. Um, yeah, Anything we've got like plan? a little. We've got like a little doggy cookie situation um, that we gave him. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Well, we like when people uh, come on the show when it's their birthday, but also when it's it's their loved ones' birthdays, including including their hammock homie. So happy birthday! Um, and then my some good news is if you love what you heard today, you can catch about two thirds of this panel again on Monday. Mariah and I are going to be joining the homie Pat Whalen his pre-election show Monday at 7 p.m. at the Cherry Circle Room at the Chicago Athletic Club in the Loop. If you're not familiar, it's basically you know like a late night show your daily show meets the tonight show meets the late 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 show uh, mariah and i are gonna be joined by dan mihalopoulos uh there'll be some music some 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 comedy and again we're gonna be doing what we've been doing the last few weeks reminding you the 
issues that we are voting for, uh, what do these candidates mean for the future of our wards, for the future of our city, you can get a little entertainment and, and maybe uh, just a little relaxation before you step into the booth on Tuesday. Again, it's going to be at 7 o'clock at the Cherry Circle Room. I will drop links for you in the show notes. A huge shout out to our panel today, a digital news editor with the Tribe, Jim Daly, and covering City Hall and all things politics for WBEZ, Mariah Wolfel. Y'all are two of my favorite people to talk to. I appreciate y'all always answering my emails. Thanks, Jacoby. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thank you very much. I always am excited by your emails. Before I let you go, I got to give a huge shout out to the people who make City Cash Chicago possible. That's lead producer Carrie Shepard, producer Simone Alisea, our newsletter editor Sydney Madden, the people who make the music we love, Sam Thousand, all the kimonos, and Mark Greenberg of the Mayfair Workshop. We're going to be back in your feeds on Monday, bright and early. Hopefully you'll join us. Peace. Ta-ta-ta, did it all. Hopefully don't gotta do it again. Tomorrow <laughs> gonna see you gotta do it again. <laughs>